Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, it's so good to have all of you at all of our campus this morning. And as you just kind of are discovering, we're beginning a brand new series this morning entitled Rebel with a Cause, and it's the do-nots that you will want to do. And uh, to get us started, because we have a lot of great, uh, what I call rebel leaders, young leaders that are kind of coming up and, and are doing some great things for RCC. We thought to kick off this series, uh, we would let you meet one of our rebel leaders. Um, she is the student director for our Bluntstown campus. Uh, she is a full-time college student. She's 20 years of age, and she leads our student ministry on our Bluntstown campus. She does that kind of in um, maybe 15 hours a week, something like that. And she leads 30, she has like 35 adult leaders that she leads, and they average about 105 to 110 students uh, on, uh, on their, their, their student ministry. And so it's just absolutely amazing young leader. But she's not also a great leader. She's almost as good a communicator as she is a leader. And uh, I promise you in the next year or two, she's going to be as equal because she is an amazing communicator as well. So when you hear her communicate and you go, wow, she's a better leader than that, absolutely. She's amazing young lady and so we thought to kick off this series that we let Katie Detweiler our student director for our Bluntstown campus kick us off so all of our campuses welcome Katie Detweiler as she kicks us off this morning absolutely that's it yep. well good morning everybody hey it is so good to be here and like Paul said my name is Katie and I am so excited to be with you guys and I just want to give a quick shout out to you at all of our campuses. I'm so glad that you joined us. And if it's your first time with us, you picked a great day to be here because today we are kicking off a brand new series called Rebel with a Cause. And here's the thing. Today is just an introduction to a six-week conversation that we're going to be having together. And you're probably going to walk out of here with a lot more questions than answers. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep coming back because what we're going to be discovering over the next six weeks is going to be incredibly helpful and relevant to all of us. But um, before we get started today, I thought it would be fun to kind of see what kind of people we have on all of our campuses. And so I'm going to need everybody to participate. And when I ask you this question, I want to see some hands in the air. So how many of you would consider yourself to be a rule follower? Okay, cool, cool, very nice, very nice. So you guys, you're a lot like my sister Carissa. So my sister, she's more of a rule follower where I can tend to fall a little bit more on the rebellious side of things. And when I turned 16, my mom, she always would make my sister Carissa go with me wherever I'd go. So if I went to the beach or to the mall, whatever it was, she'd always say, hey, Carissa, go with Katie. And I thought it was just because I was this amazing older sister, and she just wanted me to invest in the life of my younger sister and help grow her into this incredible woman of God. But I quickly realized that wasn't a case because a few months into me driving Carissa everywhere, I overheard this conversation that took place between my mom and my sister, and it went a little bit like this. Carissa, you're going with Katie. Please, please be careful. And make sure Katie makes wise choices. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I realized, my mom's not sending Carissa for me to invest in her life. She's sending her as my own personal chaperone. So I tried to tell my mom, mom, I'm older. And she said, Katie, honey, that doesn't make you wiser. Take your sister with you. And so growing up, Carissa went with me a lot of places. And so to all you rule followers out there, Thank you. I really, really am grateful for you. You keep our world from ending in utter chaos. And more importantly, you've kept me from getting in a lot of trouble. So thank you for that. And so now I need to know, where are my rebels at? All right, yeah. Yeah, and here's the thing, like if you're a rebel, you're proud of it too. 
or there's those of you who are very smart and you didn't raise your hand just because I told you to. And so here's the thing about us rebels, like we're the speed limit violators, the occasional red light runners because yellow means speed up, not slow down. And, and we don't necessarily mean to get in trouble, but it just kind of happens naturally. And so here's the thing, whether you're a rule follower or a rebel, I think you're gonna love this series because what we're gonna be discovering is we're gonna be discovering some rules and rebellion that are both worth following. And at the end of the message today, I'll explain to you why we named the series what we did. But I wanna get us started with this question. And it is, what is keeping you from living a better life? I mean, like if we could sit down and talk about it over lunch, what would you tell me? What is the thing that's keeping you from living a better life than what you're currently living? And by better life, we mean a life free from financial pressure, where you're not stressed over debt and living paycheck to paycheck, trying to figure out how to make ends meet. By better life, we mean a life free from unresolved conflict. I mean, that stuff just wears on you, doesn't it? It's like this one problem that you can never seem to solve, and you're always left wondering, what could I have done differently? What about a life free from guilt and selfishness and anger? I mean, can you imagine if you never had to deal with the consequences of those emotions ever again? And can we just talk about guilt for a second? I mean, some of us are so burdened down by our guilt. It's like we carry it around on our shoulder like a hundred pound backpack every single day, and it's exhausting. What would it be like if we could just take off the backpack, if we could realize that God's grace is enough and we can forgive ourselves? What about a life free from greed and lust? And here's the kicker, what about a life free from stress and worry and fear? I mean, some of us, we can't remember the last time we didn't experience one of those emotions. It's like we go to bed with it and we wake up from it. Matter of fact, we've been dealing with it for so long that it almost seems like a normal and necessary part of our lives. What if we had a better life free for joy and generosity? peace and patience, a better life of meaning and purpose and satisfaction, where you woke up every day knowing that you matter, your life matters, your work matters, and you're creating a legacy that will outlive you. So let me ask this question again. What's keeping you from living a better life? Like if we could sit and talk about it, what would you say? Maybe it's resources. Like if you would have just invested more money into your retirement, if you had more money in your bank account now, if you had the newer car, the bigger house, that would, that would give you a better life. Some of you might say it's opportunity. Like some people have just been given these opportunities and you haven't yet. And if you could just catch a break and have that door open for you, then your life would be better. But let's get really honest. Some of you are thinking spouse. And here's what I find interesting. I have single friends that say I need one and married friends that say I need to get rid of this one. So is that really what's keeping you from a better life? Some of you might say it's your boss or your coworker, a roommate, your parents, or a parent you might be saying it's your kids or your in-laws. Or maybe you prefer to point your finger at circumstances in general. Like if your life's circumstances would just improve, then your life would be better. But what if there's one more possibility that I wanna throw out there that probably many of us haven't thought about and, and wouldn't even consider? What if it's you? Like, is it possible that you are keeping you from a better life? Is it possible that I am keeping me from a better life? 
I mean, stop and think about this. We all have character flaws, habits, hurts, weaknesses, and they're like barriers that hinder our forward progress in life. I mean, I don't know about you, but back in January, I set some New Year's resolutions, and it's July, and I still haven't accomplished them yet. It's like we can see where we wanna be, but we can't clear our own hurdles to get there because the truth is you have a greater impact on your life than all of the other factors that we mentioned that keep you from having a better life. And now before you push back on this, let me ask you to think about something. If you learn to respond and react better to the people and circumstances in your life, would your life be better even if your circumstances didn't improve? Of course it would. Because when you get better at life, you live a better life. And when Jesus showed up on the planet 2,000 years ago, he taught us a new way to live that creates a much better life. But the only way you experience it is if you're willing to take a next step of faith. And this is true whether you're a Christ, Christ follower or not. And one thing that I find so great about our church is we have a wide spectrum of people who attend. Like we have people who don't necessarily believe in God, but they're open to exploring the idea. We have people who believe in God and they're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And we have people who are new to the faith and people who've been following him for years and they're still being challenged to grow. You see, we as a church, our goal is simple. We wanna help everybody take a next step because that was Jesus's goal. Jesus showed up to help people wherever they were on the faith spectrum, learn how to be better at life so that they could live a better life. And Matthew, he writes about this reality in the book of Matthew, but before we dive into that, I kind of want to set up the scene and explain where we're going. So one day Jesus is surrounded by this large group of people and he tells this agricultural story that explains the dynamic between people who experience a better life and those who don't. So he gave three scenarios that resulted in no growth. And then one scenario where the growth was so huge, the only change was one single factor. And so I'm gonna to read to you the story and then I'm gonna to read to you Jesus' explanation on what it means. And so you can follow along with me in Matthew chapter 13. And it says that same day when Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, such large crowds gathered around him that he got in a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. And before we go any further, I just want to kind of camp out here for a second. And so when we're talking about this farmer, I don't want you to think of our modern day farming with the technology and the equipment that we so often see. This is like old school farming. So I want you to picture a guy walking through his fields, going row by row by row, just scattering out all of his seeds. And he continues in verse four. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And that word path there, that's just talking about a hard and dry piece of land. And it's gotten that way from having people and animals walk on it day after day after day. And so when the seed gets thrown on this path, there's no way for it to get into the soil, so it just sits on top. And that's why the birds were able to come and eat it up. It goes on to say in verse five, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And that rocky places there, it's just talking about a thin layer of dirt with rock underneath. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And here's where I'm hoping farming was just a hobby for this guy because he's like, oh, and two. It goes on to say in verse seven, still other seed fell on the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And at this point, I start wondering, okay, maybe this guy was a little rebellious and skipped out on ag class in school because I mean, I'm not a farmer or anything, but I'm pretty sure I could do a better job than he's doing. 
And he wraps it up in verse eight by saying, still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so here's what I find interesting. In all four scenarios that Jesus presents, we have the same farmer and we have the same seeds. So this isn't a story about good or bad farming or good or bad seeds. It's about the dirt. It's about the soil. And what Jesus is getting at is the soil, it represents you and I. It represents our hearts. And so the bad news is I'm responsible for how I'm growing and whether or not I'm living a better life. But the good news is I'm responsible, and so I can change and grow. And the disciples, when they heard Jesus teach this, they didn't really understand what he was trying to say. So Jesus pulled them aside, and he explained the story to him this way. And it, it picks up in verse 18, and it says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and whenever Jesus uses that word kingdom there, he's just talking about the better life that God intended for us, the better life that God created for us to live. So whenever anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And so what Jesus is saying there is, is some people, they have hard hearts. They're not op open to understanding or embracing the truth. So when they hear it, they ignore it, and then it's gone. And it's so easy for us to look at people like that and go, why are you so stubborn? Why are you so calloused? Why won't you listen to anybody? Why are you such a rebel? But if we're being really honest, we've all experienced moments in our life where our heart has gotten really hard. In fact, if we look a little deeper, we discover that underneath all of that hardness is just fear. And I know this is true because I've experienced it in my own life. I mean, right now my family, we're walking through a really challenging situation. And the future holds a lot of uncertainty and we're not really sure what's gonna happen. And it's filled me with a lot of fear. And I watched myself working late into the evening so I wouldn't have to go home and face this reality and pushing away the people in my life who were closest to me because I didn't want to admit that the Katie I so often know is strong and independent. She was really just scared. She was really just full of fear and she was facing this fear of she might get hurt again. And it scared her to death. And so in order to try to run from the fear, her heart just got really hard. And maybe that's some of you today, like you're facing this fear that's come from previous hurts and disappointments and rejection. And so you've hardened your heart to protect yourself, but underneath all of that hardness is just fear. And you need to know you can't grow until the soil gets soft. You can't grow until you're willing to open up and give God a chance. And Jesus continues to explain the scenario in verse 20. He said, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. And this sounds like a good thing. Like here's somebody who hears how to grow and they're excited about it. But then we hit this but. And it says, but since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
For some of us, the problem is, is we really want to take next steps of faith and grow, but we don't have any depth. Our faith is just really shallow. And this sounds like an insult, but we've all experienced moments where our faith has been really shallow. Matter of fact, some of us may be experiencing it right now and don't even know it. So how do you know if this is true of you? And Jesus said, doubt. Doubt will derail your faith. You get excited about following Jesus, but then it creates some kind of trouble for you. And as soon as the trouble comes and you face some kind of criticism, your faith falters. For some of you, this is your story. Like your faith journey just looks like a roller coaster because it's rooted in emotion, not faith. And that's why it's so important not to just believe, but to belong. In other words, to be a part of a small group where you can do life with other people who can help you navigate the doubts without giving up. You know, I'll never forget the first small group I was in. I was with a group of people who were a lot older than I was and had been on this faith journey for a lot longer than I had been. And it was in this group that I opened up and I shared the doubts that I'd been wrestling with for years and had never told anybody. And I expected them to look at me and go, Katie, you know, you just need to believe more. Like, you just need to be a better Christian. That's not what they did. Instead, they looked at me and they said, Katie, it's okay. Like, it's okay for you to doubt. They said, did you know that one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his disciples, a guy who was walking with him for years, watching him perform all of these miracles, that guy, he even doubted him too? And Jesus didn't love him any less because of his doubt. They said, don't you think that if, if one of Jesus' disciples, if he doubted him, you can too? Jesus isn't going to love you any less because of your doubt. Just don't let it stop you. The doubt can be the very thing that grows your faith in a way that you never even imagined. And we're going to be right here to help you walk through this and navigate your doubts without giving up. And y'all, that was the most life-giving moment for me because it gave me permission to wrestle. And not just wrestle, it gave me permission to wrestle well because for the first time I was able to look at God and go, God, I don't know if I believe in you. I don't know if I trust you. And frankly, I don't even know if you exist. But I'm asking you to show up despite my doubts. I'm asking you to show up despite all of the emotions that are running through my brain. I'm asking you to be bigger than I thought you were. And then I had this group of people who were praying over me every week, and they were going, God, you see the doubts that Katie's facing. You see everything that she's struggling with. Will you show up and will you work in her life despite the doubts? And it was through that experience that my faith grew like never before. And here's the thing. Maturity comes when you learn to consistently take the next step and overcome the doubts that are just a normal part of your faith. That's how you deepen your faith and not have a shallow heart. And Jesus continues in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. For some of us, is our, the problem is our heart is too cluttered. We've let our desires and distractions derail our faith. And Jesus said worry does that to us. I mean, any of you get distracted by worry? I know I do, all the time. 
But the problem is, is worry and faith, they can't coexist in the same heart. But far too often, we let worry choke out the trust that we want to have in our Heavenly Father. And sin does that too. Sin is anything that distracts you from God. And Jesus said one big one is our belief that money will solve everything. But the problem is, is wealth is deceitful. It promises a better life, but ultimately, it never delivers. And we all have this tendency to let worry and fear choke out the work that God is trying to do in our lives. And we end up missing the better life that's possible. But fortunately, there's a better way for us to live. And Jesus wraps up his explanation with this good news in verse 23. And he says, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so what Jesus says is when you choose to retain what God tells you, when you hear it and internalize it, when you hear the truth and apply it, you reap this incredible growth. And the payoff is 30, 60, or 100 times the effort that was put into grow. In other words, God wants you to experience a life that's exponentially better than you can create on your own, but it takes you doing your part. You have to choose to hear what God says, and then you have to do it. So which life describes you? Would you say your heart is full of the good soil right now? Or would one of the other three scenarios describe you better? You don't have to tell anybody, but be honest with yourself. Some of you are missing out on the life that God has for you because of fear. And you need to know you can't grow until you soften your heart just a little and you're open to trusting God more. Some of you are being derailed by your doubts and you aren't willing to be transparent with enough other people in your life to help you navigate through them. So your faith is really shallow. You follow God as long as you feel like it's paying off for you, but the moment it doesn't, you're done. Some of you are consumed by worry and disobedience, and it's choking out your faith. And you say that following Jesus is the most important thing to you, but your life says a completely different story. So which life describes you? Jesus came to show us and help us live a better life, but we have to be willing to cooperate and work on the issues of our own hearts. So if your life is described by one of the first three scenarios, what do you do? And here's the easiest application that I will ever give you. Come back next week, because next week we're going to begin diving into some of the five commands that Jesus gave when he was here on this earth to help us overcome the barriers that we experience in life to live a better life. And we want to warn you, they may sound impractical and almost impossible, but I challenge you just to be open to hearing what God has to say. And now here's where the title of this series comes into play. Because if you're like me and you want to rebel whenever somebody tells you, don't do that, or do that, these do not commands that Jesus tells us, there's some do not commands that you're actually going to find yourself wanting to do. And, and here's just a little sneak peek of what a few of them are. There are things like, do not fear, do not worry, do not doubt. I mean, can you imagine how much better your life and your relationships with God and other people would be if you could actually stop doing those things? 
And so this is going to be an eye-opening series of conversations from Jesus, and it's going to challenge you to grow your faith in ways that you may never have experienced before. And so here's what I've learned from personal experience and what I think you'll discover through the rest of this series, and that is believing Jesus brings to a better life. And not just believing in him in the sense of being a Christian, but believing in what he says enough to do it and live it. What's keeping you from a better life is your struggle to fully believe him, and you're not alone. The people who heard Jesus teach these commands, they struggled with this as well. Matter of fact, many of them didn't believe him for a long period of time. But then something happened that changed their lives dramatically. And we'll share that with you next week. Until then, make plans to attend so you can get a better handle on what God is trying to teach you and why it's worth being a rebel with a cause. Let me pray for you. Dear God, I just want to thank you for everyone that's here today. And I just pray that over the rest of this series, you will challenge us to grow our faith in a way that we never imagined. I pray that you would teach us what it means to be a rebel with a cause. And I pray that we'll discover that when we believe in you, you bring to a better life than we could ever imagine. And so I thank you for what you're going to do and how you're going to work in each and everyone's life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you back next Sunday.